Speaking of underdogs, really, when this war began, very few people thought Ukraine would be able to hold out this long, specifically with the idea that even the Russians thought they would probably be able to take Kyiv pretty fast. So today, as they marked Victory Day, and everything has gone completely wrong since the beginning of the invasion about 75 days ago, they had actually planned to hold Victory Day parades today, May 9th, in the Ukrainian capital, apparently, or at least on Russian state media, they had talked about that uh, a while back. Well, that's not going to happen. So instead of talking about Ukraine and victory today, Vladimir Putin was forced to talk about other things, grievances mostly, about uh, foreign forces trying to separate Russia, Russia being on the defensive, Ukraine wanting nuclear weapons. It was all just a jumble of strange parallel universe kind of stuff from the Russian president. Uh, so speaking at the military parade, he also drew parallels between the Red Army's fighting against Nazi troops many, many, 77 years ago and the Russian forces actions in Ukraine now. He said the campaign in Ukraine was timely and necessary to ward off potential aggression. Here is sound of Putin speaking in Russian, likening Russians' actions in Ukraine now to the Soviets fighting in the Second World War. Дорогие ветераны, товарищи солдаты и матросы, сержанты и старшины, мичманы и прапорщики. Now, you don't have to speak Russian. Actually, you should have seen the look on his face because that was more uh, telling today. He did not look like a happy man. And you can tell he does not sound like a happy man today. Things have gone disastrously wrong for Russia in this invasion. So what's the state of the fight? How has Russia's reset worked? Why is one of the world's biggest militaries still struggling? And what will the coming weeks and months look like on the ground? Joining me now with more on that is retired Australian Army Major General Mick Ryan, former commander of the Australian Defence College and author of War Transformed. He's also someone who's been following this war very closely from the outset. Mick Ryan, welcome back. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be with you again. I guess there was a lot, not much said by Vladimir Putin today. Perhaps what was most interesting was what was not said. What did, what did you make of his Victory Day speech, his much anticipated Victory Day speech? Well, I guess first and foremost, if you were going to give it a title, you'd call it Victory Day 2022, no escalation to see here. <laughs> um, there was a lot of analysts before this speech who thought Putin would use this occasion to announce a victory in Ukraine or declare war or announce some kind of national mobilisation. None of those things happened. Uh, Putin doesn't have to comply with the requirements of Western analysts. He's moving at his own time frame. Uh, so there was a lot not in it, but there was also a lot in it that I think we can take away. What would that be? What did what's what struck you? I mean, there was there was certainly a, a framing of the conflict as being, you know, outside forces trying to divide and conquer Russia. Russia as the as the victim here, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, it was part commemoration of past deeds, but it was part declaration of Russian intent, and that intent is to defend Russia against what Putin described as existential threats uh, from the West. He also continued his narrative of linking the Nazis with Ukraine, which is all about the delegitimization of the Ukrainian state and justifying why this military operation uh, in Ukraine is so important. Now, he didn't use the term Ukraine during his speech, but he did use 
the word Donbass several times, which is also important, not just in this delegitimization theme, but potentially in divining what his ultimate end state of this invasion is. That end state has changed, we, we know, we think, o- over time. Uh, what would you, in listening in to him today and watching the look on his face, he did not look like a happy man today. Not that he usually does, but he looked grumpier than usual, and so did his generals behind him. Um, what do you think the end state now is, and, and is it changing still? The Russians didn't have a lot to celebrate on this day, even though Victory Day should be a cause for, you know, it's a cause for commemoration uh, for victory in 1945. The problems they've had in Ukraine would be profoundly troubling. Putin, uh, his senior government ministers and the most senior military leaders. Uh, We should note that General Gerasimov, the chief chief of staff of the Russian military, did not appear on this parade. Uh, There could be several reasons why that is. Uh, Some have speculated that he was wounded during his visit to Izium. Others might say that he's not in favour with Putin. They weren't a happy mob. Um, They understand they're going to have to continue to downgrade their expectations from this operation in Ukraine. What might that look like, given what you what you heard today, the specific references to Donbass, that is the area in the east that has been occupied by essentially a Russian proxy separatist force for their or two different ones for the past eight years or so. There was certainly an attempt to move off of Crimea and up into the south of Ukraine. You've analyzed this a bit. What do you think lies ahead now in terms of their uh, of, of their at least their tactical goals? Well, as we've seen, Putin and the Russians have had to revise their theory of victory throughout this war from the installation of a puppet government um, down to much more limited war objectives that have been described by several Russian generals that are focused on the Donbass, Crimea and the south of the country. My sense is that if there is a ceasefire at any point in time, the current state of affairs would be close to where they'll be. The Russians in control of parts of the Donbass, uh, the southern part of the country and Crimea. Uh, That's unless Ukrainians continue some of these offensives uh, like we saw in the north uh, around Kharkiv at the moment and seize more territory from the Russians. We could see the Russians declare or at least ask for some kind of ceasefire in the coming weeks if the Ukrainians really start hurting them in the East. In writing about mobilization in general, general mobilization, which you venture to say would be very difficult for Russia right now, you touched on some of the other struggles that they're having in terms of equipment, manpower. Uh, They're not in an enviable situation right now. They're military. They're really not then. Uh, From a manpower point of view, whilst Russia is a very large country, Their professionalisation program over the last decade has meant they lack the basis for large-scale mobilisation that they might have had even 10 years ago. So the training system, their bases are not capable of taking in the tens or even hundreds of thousands of extra soldiers that will be part of mobilisation. Equipment is another issue. They've already lost mass amounts of tanks and other weapon systems, which will take them years to replace. Uh, That doesn't include 
an expanded amount of equipment that be, would be required for a mobilised army. They have some significant challenges. Vladimir Zelensky released a video uh, in the last little bit that was of a very different tone than Vladimir Putin's speech, uh, a very confident tone. He walked right down what I presume would have been the parade route for a presumed Russian Victory Day celebration in Kiev. Um, is that confidence that we're seeing from Vladimir Zelensky, is that warranted? Well, part of it, as Zelensky well knows as a former actor, is that leaders need to act the role as well as be the role. He is doing things that give confidence to his people, to unify them, to say, listen, you know, we can be successful here. You know, in the first 48 hours of the war, no one in the world thought that Ukraine could stand up to the Russians. Zelensky did. All the way through, he has been this leader, this unifying influence for the Ukrainian people and indeed many around the world. This is just part of his efforts to continue to lead his people and gain support from Western countries. He's done a very good job of it. If you're Russia, it must incense you that he would be able to deliver that. If you're Vladimir Putin, if you're sitting in the Kremlin, that kind of video shot where it was with the tone it was shot in must be must be a real slap in the face. I think so, and that's probably one of the reasons why Putin was very unhappy. He would have preferred a Victory Day speech, which included uh, a vision of a Russian flag over the government buildings in Ukraine, in particular in Kiev. He didn't get it. He's not going to get it now, certainly not in the short or medium term. So the Russian government, Putin and the high command really have some thinking to do about how they might bring this to an end. They can't afford for this to become a forever war. Uh, wars are enormously expensive, as the Americans found over 20 years in Afghanistan. The Russians just are not capable of affording this, particularly with the international sanctions regime. I'm speaking with retired Australian Army Major General Mick Ryan, former commander of the Australian Defence College and author of War Transformed. We're talking about Vladimir Putin's Victory Day speech today in Moscow, one that many had anticipated would involve some sort of significant announcement. It did not, uh, for the most part, but did signal in some senses where this war might be headed. After this, we'll talk a bit more about the concept of time, something, Mick, that you've looked into. Interestingly, you just brought it up, and time at expense in war is also important. And what chance does Ukraine have when it comes to counteroffenses? As you mentioned, we've seen a bit of that in the north of Ukraine recently. We'll be back with that. I'm speaking with retired Australian Army Major General Mick Ryan, author of War Transformed. We're discussing the state of the war in Ukraine right now. Today, Victory Day in Moscow. Uh, commemorations there, we expected perhaps, or at least there was a lot of speculation that Vladimir Putin may say something uh, that would change perhaps the course of the war. He did not. Uh, we we're very much back to where we were yesterday, today, uh, again, following his speech. But, but Mick, you brought up an interesting point about time and money. And you're, you've said that, that time is a real, is troublesome now for, for, for Russia in this war. Or who has the time on their side right now, do you think? I think the Ukrainians have the time on their side at the moment. They have not only fought the Russians to a standstill in most parts of their country, they have 
been able to solicit Western aid, which is really starting to flow in large quantities and, at least in the short term, doesn't show any sign of abating. So Ukraine has access to all the technologies and the weapons that the West can offer. Uh, Ukraine, uh, sorry, Russia, with sanctions and the losses it's have, is uh, slowly being attrited. Now, it has thousands, if not tens of thousands, of old tanks and artillery systems in storage across the country. But these are certainly not as capable, uh, probably not in very good repair. So time at the moment is on Ukraine's side, not on Russia's. We are continuing to see attacks on civilian uh, targets. We saw a school in the east uh, today. There was a shopping mall, I believe, in Odessa today as well. Yeah. I imagine that that will continue, this targeting of Ukrainian civilians. Yeah, it's what uh, the Russians call strategic operations. It's, it's those things, uh, not on the battlefield, that support both battlefield and political objectives, even if those political objectives uh, might be uh, quite abhorrent to us in the targeting of civilians and cities and these kind of things. Uh, this is Russia trying to, as it's done throughout this war, attempting to terrorise Ukrainian people to put pressure on their leaders to accept some kind of accommodation with the Russians. Uh, it's not working. Uh, just as the German blitz didn't work on the British in the Second World War, Russian bombing of Ukrainian cities is not having the impact that the Russian military would like it to have. We saw Canada's Prime Minister, as well as our Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs Minister in Kyiv yesterday. The First Lady of the United States was there. You two were there. I mean, there's been a whole stream of people going into Kyiv these days. How important is that? I mean, from your position, how have you assessed the ability of Ukraine's partners, so to speak, to stick together so far? Oh, really, really important. Um, you know, that before this war, there were parts of Ukraine, not in the Donbass, but like Odessa and others that were you know, part Russian, part Ukrainian. This war has changed that calculus. We've seen the country really become a Ukraine, a united Ukraine. Not only has it helped Ukrainian people, it's helped the West to see the country differently as a country that's worth investing in and a country that's worth helping to defend itself. I've always I've been very impressed too just by the volunteerism, how much is being done, how how in fact they mobilized in many ways. Not officially, but they mobilized. Oh, I think so, absolutely. You saw uh directives where the Ukrainians did not allow men of a certain age to depart the country. That is a that really is a form of mobilization, even though we might not call it that. Uh, you've seen Ukrainian factories change to the production of war goods. You've seen them really uh, leverage the hacker community for strategic uh, uh, information operations against Russia. So whilst they may not call it a war mobilisation, this has been a total effort from the people of Ukraine. Do you have much hope? for peace here anytime soon? It really is difficult to see it occurring in the short term. One of the things I took away from Putin's speech is that while he didn't escalate it, he did not back down. He is not backing away from what he has launched in Ukraine 
And at least while he's in charge, the Russians will continue to seek their goals in the east and the south. So peace, at least in my sense, is not a, a probability in the short term. I would imagine both leaders, both Zelensky and Putin, are in difficult situations when it comes to negotiating right now. They really are. Russia has to be seen, uh, at least in the eyes of the Russian people, not to have wasted the lives of its people in this operation. Um, And there's also the narrative that it can't be seen to accept a negotiated outcome that makes Russian uh, homeland security worse than what it was beforehand. Uh, On the other hand, the Ukrainian president has to meet the expectations of his own people where he has talked about repelling the Russian invaders, accepting a negotiated settlement that is less than that may be problematic. As a longtime student of war, uh, having been involved in war, what, what worries you now when you look at how this has progressed? The Ukrainian offensives that we've seen in the north and the northeast, if they continue are clearly a good thing for them to uh, re-seize their territory. But I sense that there is a very careful political calculus here that the Ukrainian president will need to make about pushing far enough so he can have a strong position going into negotiations, but not so far that he Uh, forces the Russians into using some kind of weapon of mass destruction. The other thing that is interesting is China has sat on the fence still. But if this goes on for months and months into the future, might they decide that some form of assistance to Russia is in their national interest? They have not done so yet, but China is a country to watch in the coming months as well. Mick Ryan, as always, thank you so much for your time. Always fascinating. Thanks, Ben. It's great to talk to you.